Again, it is so wonderful and such a blessing to be at home today. Um, you know, as a preacher, I get to talk a lot, and I don't get to listen as much as I want to. And it has been such a blessing to be able to just sit and listen. Good sermons don't just inform, but they inspire you and transform you. And Andy, yesterday, whenever you were telling us about what heaven can do to us, it really touched my heart, and today inspired me to live to the glory of God and gave me hope. Um, the handling of Hebrews 2, I've never thought through that. It's humanity and Jesus redeemed. It's a great connection. Um, it's such a wonderful blessing. Luke, of course, I learned it's hilarious. Um, I'll see y'all saw that. And looking forward to what he has to share as well. So, let's look at John 1. Yesterday, in my first presentation, we discussed what is home. And we can define home many ways. But I think one of the most helpful is looking at home as the place where I am known. And if home is the place where I am known, I am known because I'm loved. Love is both the why and the how for knowledge. And we discussed yesterday that in this life, we are known by God, meaning we belong to Him and He is our Father. But also, there is a future sense in which we will be more fully known by God, and that is what home is. Heaven is the place where we will be known by the one who is on the throne. In my first presentation today, I'd like to ask, why then does it feel like we are not at home in this world? Um, you know, whenever you think about the place where you're known, often that's not our day-to-day lives. We probably feel more like imposters and strangers, and as though we've broken into somebody else's house here, rather than really feeling at home. And why is that? I'd like to try to answer that question by going back to the concept of being known by God. And we're going to look at that through the lens of the Gospel of John and one text in First John. So John chapter 1, if you'll begin with me in verse 14, John 1 verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Didn't paint it, Andy, but what a great follow-up. Um, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, that word should more literally be translated tabernacle among us. What that means is, the Word, who was God, who was with God, who was eternal, who was divine, that Word, who heaven was his home, made his home among us. He tabernacled among us. And for the duration of his life, Jesus made this earth his home. He tabernacled among us. But how did Jesus feel whenever he made this world his home? How was Jesus accepted? Was Jesus known in this world? If home is the place where you are known, was Jesus at home in this world? Was Jesus known in this world? Back to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, yet the world did not know him. This is laughable. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born, not of blood, but of the will of God. Jesus tabernacled and made his home in this world. And yet, even though the world was made through him, John is just trying to hold back his misunderstanding. Like, this is the enigma of enigmas. 
He came to a people that he spoke into existence. Jesus was the word who spoke into creation. The very people that he was walking among. Yet this world did not know him. Now, this needs to be our basis then for starting to unravel the question. Why do we oftentimes, or perhaps should we not, feel at home in this world? Well, primarily, when Jesus made this world his home, the world didn't know him. Even though he sought to tabernacle and tent among us, it could not be the true home of Jesus Christ because this world did not know Jesus. Jesus was not known to this world. He was the true light, and yet the darkness could not understand him. He was the true light, and yet the light could not apprehend him. It couldn't master him. The light could not be understood and made at home in the darkness. The world did not know him. What a grim picture that is. The creator walks among the creation. The creation doesn't know its creator. The ones who have been spoken into existence have the one who spoke and don't recognize him. How then do we come to a knowledge of God? How has Christ come to know us? If we, in this present world order, did not know Jesus whenever he walked among us, how then that there are those who have been adopted by God and whose God has come to know. Let's look at John 10. We're going to spend quite a bit of time in John 10. This is Jesus' reference to himself as the good shepherd. And you'll notice that this is all about God's knowledge of us. Even though the world did not know God, Jesus knew us. This is what John 10 is going to tell us. It's the conclusion of the chapter. Even though the world did not know Jesus, Jesus knew the world. Let me use passive voice here. Even though Jesus was not known to the world, the world was known to Jesus. John 10 verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, think briefly, how did the serpent enter into God's good creation? Because he was welcome and called in? No, because he snuck in. He was the cunning, crafty beast who snuck in. Yet the shepherd comes in by the door. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them as the shepherds follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not know, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. This really is the whole story. The rest of this is going to be an explanation of this basic parable. So I'm going to read it again. Okay, Let's make sure we understand the parable here. Verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. 
the figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. A few details that I would like to point out in this parable. Jesus, of course, as the good shepherd, is known by the sheep. And if you look especially at verse 3, this detail is very, very important. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Think through this metaphor with me for a moment. The shepherd calls to the sheep by name. They hear his voice and they know him. Now, for those of y'all that were in my Bible class at camp, we talked about what it means to be identified by God. In, in Exodus chapter 3, don't turn there, I'm just going to make a couple references. But you have Moses, who at that point does not know who he is. He has been on a 40-year identity crisis. Because in Exodus 2.11, he looked and tried to make a decision. He saw that there was no one there. And when Moses looked, he made a mistake. Much like Genesis 3. Whenever you look and you try to do, judges, what is right in your own eyes, that's when mistakes are going to come. Whenever we try to make our identities based on comparing ourselves to other people around us, whenever we try to figure out who we are by looking at other people around us, and when we try to make our decisions and live our lives and try to come to a knowledge of who I am by looking at everyone else, we, like Adam and Eve in the garden, are going to look and we're going to fail. But in Exodus chapter 3, Moses looks upon something that he can no longer look at. He looks upon the burning bush and he falls upon his face. His eyes go to the ground. And when Moses can no longer look, what must then he do? He must listen. Our identity then must not be shaped by what we see. Our identity must be shaped by what we hear. Our identity should not be shaped by looking at everyone else around us. Our identity should be shaped by listening to the voice of God and his people. Our identity should not be shaped by how we appear and what looks right to us and what seems right to us around us. But our identity should come by the one who has spoken to us. Again, our identity should not be shaped by what looks right and what we see, but rather what we hear. And then in the life of Moses, what Moses does from Exodus 4 all the way through Exodus 12, climaxing in the Passover, he listens to God. Finally, when Moses stops looking and starts listening, that's when Moses has led to success. And then if you get to the pinnacle in Exodus 11, Moses was highly exalted in the eyes of the Egyptians, even of Pharaoh. Pharaoh was humbled. Moses was exalted. Why? Because in Exodus 2, Moses looked and tried to save Israel. He failed. Exodus 4 through 11, he listened to God. God gave him success. What Jesus is doing here is drawing from a truth that the Old Testament had witnessed to. Do not live based upon what looks right in your own eyes. Live by what we hear. Live by what we hear from the voice of God. Live by what we hear from the voice of God's people. Live by the voice of the Logos, the Logos of God himself. Live by the voice of Jesus Christ. Hear them. Jesus, who is the Logos. Oh, we can talk about this for a long time. Why is Jesus called the Logos of God? Okay, in Kentucky, the Logos of God. Okay, why is he called the Logos? Of God. Well, in Psalm 33, verses 5 and 6, you'll remember what... Let's go there real quick. Look at Psalm 33 real quick. This is really cool. I am... Generally, let's say this. 
generally the Old Testament does not shout to us of the triune God, the three but one God. I think this is a passage that is shouting to us of our triune God. Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord, by the word of Yahweh, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. In creation, the Father spoke. The Son was the word. The breath was the animating spirit behind it. What happens when you speak? You have one that is speaking. You have a word that is spoken. And you have a breath that animates Father, Son, and Spirit. The Son is the word. Jesus Christ is the Logos. He is the Word of God. He is the one who spoke into creation all that exists. Paul testifies to this many times over, most notably in Colossians 1, 15-20. All things that were made through him which came through him, right? He is the Logos. He is the one who has spoken. Now back to John 10, okay? The one who spoke this world into existence. The one who spoke into existence the things that were not seen, the one who spoke into existence ex nihilo, from nothing, this word now comes in tabernacles among the bunch of sheep. Okay? What then is this Logos doing? He is speaking to the sheep. The sheep hear his voice, and notice this detail, he calls them by name. Already, before we think through this a bit more, I think we're starting to understand. I almost said see, but that would have been a horrible contradiction. (laughs) I think we're starting to understand from the parable how we could not know Jesus, and yet he knew us, and yet now we know him, and he knows us. We saw him, but didn't understand. But his sheep heard him, and they were evoked to faith. It's about listening to the Logos. Listening to the voice of God. Listening to Jesus. Now, I'd like to think through this from two further perspectives. John is going to give more details and a a somewhat explanation of this parable in the following verses. But why is it that listening to God is the means by which we come to know God? Verse 7. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Again, notice they're listening. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And will go in and come out and find pastor. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd. I thought they were coming for me for a second. <laughs> Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. 
the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not know his own sheep, see the wolf coming, and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Did you notice which comes first? Our knowledge of God or God's knowledge of us? I am the good shepherd. I know my own. Okay, I'm going to take this into my first person here. Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows me, so I know him. I am known by him, therefore he is known by me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there is one flock, one shepherd, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down my own life according to my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from the Father. Okay, let's think through this from two different perspectives. If we are evoked to a knowledge of God through the Word of God, that was passive voice, let me use active. If God brings us to a knowledge of Him through speaking to us, why? Two things we're going to do real quick. Why is it God speaking to us is what brings us to a knowledge of Him. And second, what is this knowledge overcoming? So we're going to look at this from a positive side and a negative side. Well, I think it's fascinating. It's easy to look over this. But if you look at verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Did you notice here that Jesus' knowledge of us is reflective of the Father's knowledge of the Father's knowledge of him? Again, God's knowledge of us is reflective of the Father's knowledge of Jesus. Again, in verse 17, for this reason, the Father loves me. Now, again, what did we talk about yesterday? Home is where I am known. How are you known? Through love. How does the Father know the Son? Through love. How does Jesus know us? It's a reflection of the Father's love for him. It's a reflection of the Father's knowledge of him. This comes to a climax in John 5. If you look back to John chapter 5, Jesus here is making the claim of equality to God. And he says in John 5 verse 19, John 5 19, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Here the Son sees the Father. There's a perfect communion here. You're able to see what you truly hear. We'll get to that in a minute. So let's think for a minute about God's knowledge of himself. Christianity is quite unique in that we are the only ones who make claim to a triune God. 
a God who is three but one. And although I knew, I guess using Luke's terms yesterday, the trinity or the triunity of God was a worthy and weighty thing of Christianity, it always seemed small to me. I was never able to really explain this. Until I got help from a brother at Manfred Road who helped me to understand, all the answers came in the most stupid thing that's ever been created, a fidget spinner. God's knowledge has been revealed in the lowly things. Let me show you why. How many sides? I'm going to pick on Brandon. Brandon, how many sides does this have? Three. Three, right? So you have one side, two side, three sides. This can make a triangle, right? But if you spin a fidget spinner, how many sides does it have? One. One. So does this have one side or three? Yes. Right. Whenever the father knows the son, they're actively loving one another. Whenever the son is loving the spirit, they're actively loving one another. Whenever the spirit is loving the father, they're actively loving one another. Do we have three gods? Of course not. We are servants of one God, of Yahweh God. But that God comes in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. One being three persons, I think, is probably the easiest way to make claim of it. One being three persons. How is it that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit can be three but one? Because love connects us. That was really bad. Love connects us. (laughs) Love unites us. Love brings us together. Have you ever been around perhaps your grandparents or other more seasoned citizens who whenever you hear one talk, it's like the other person could have equally said that. You know, my grandparents, they've been married now for 58 years, I believe. And whenever I hear one speak, it's now with the mannerisms of the other and the phrases of the other to where they're just almost inseparable. I mean, you just, when, when my mamaw starts talking, I hear phrases that I know originated with my papaw. I mean, my papaw has the phrase, same token, okay? So I had to be 17 years old, probably, any idea what that meant. But my papaw has said his whole life, same token. And I've started to know, not as frequently, but mamaw will start to say same token. And just in their phrases, in their nonverbals, in their will, in their action, it's almost as though they're one person. Why? It's because they love one another. It's because they love one another. What does the love of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit bring them to? Oneness. What does the love of the Father and the Son and the Spirit evoke in them? A knowledge that is unsearchable. To know the Father is to know the Son. To know the Spirit is to know the Father. If you see the Spirit at work, you know the will of the Father is there. If you see the will of the Father, you see the agency of the Son. Yes, they are distinct, but they are one. We serve one God. Now, why does God want to know us? Why does the shepherd come to a world that did not know him, but he wants to know that world? It's to bring that world into oneness with him. Our God wants oneness. 1 Corinthians 15, 
don't turn there, but it's in verse 26 to 28. At the end, whenever the Son hands the kingdom to the Father, that God may be all in all, it's for oneness. And as we reflect upon the initiative and the motivation for the knowledge and the love of God that he has for us, it is motivated by the knowledge that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have for each other. Climaxing and bringing to the pinnacle of unity and of oneness. Why did Jesus come to know us? That as he is one with the Father, we may be one with him. John 17, right? The high priest of prayer. So, if the knowledge of God, the God, the knowledge that God has of us, God's knowing of us is to bring us to oneness. Why did the world not know him? Because the world was divided. The world was divided and hostile and an enmity with his own self. If you look to John chapter 10 verse 11, John 10 verse 11, let's give back to verse 10 rather. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. You take the thief there as the adversary, as that ancient serpent. You remember that in Genesis 3, the serpent enters into God's good garden and speaks. But what was the intent of that speech? To kill and to destroy, to steal. I'm going to put one other word in here. Divide. The motivation of the speech of the serpent was to divide and bring enmity and strife and all the James 3 qualities of earthly wisdom evoked in the agency of the serpent. What did Jesus come to do? Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Why did Jesus come to tabernacle among a world that would reject him and crucify him? Because our God who loves us more than human wisdom could ever comprehend knew that he was going to enter into enemy territory. When Jesus was born, he was born into enemy territory. Herod and all the forces of darkness united together to kill the Son of God. And throughout his life and culminating at the cross, the thief came to steal, to kill, and to destroy and the adversary now has upon himself, using Andy's terms, the true human. The one who is the true image of God. The one who truly demonstrates dominion over God's good creation. But when this world received the only true human that has ever lived, what did the serpent do to him? It killed him. And sought to brought him, sought to bring him to nothingness. But that's not where the story of Jesus Christ ends. 
because the crucifixion, where the power of the adversary is destroyed, he's not yet been destroyed. But if you were to go a bit more in Hebrews 2 down to 14 through 16, it's about the destruction of the power of the adversary. Through the wisdom of God, the power of the enemy has been destroyed through the cross. And a new power has come through the resurrection of God. The resurrection of the Son of God has now spoken life into existence. And here's what you see in the shepherd. For the sheep to know him, the shepherd must die. But he's going to come back for them. And we must listen to him. We must listen to him. Let's bring all this together before we close in John 20. Go and be turning there. How is it that Jesus entered into a world that did not know him? And yet we now have become adopted sons of God? Well, because, number one, the knowledge that Jesus has of us is reflective of the love that the Father has of the Son. The love that God has for humanity is reflective of the knowledge and the love that the Father, Son, and Spirit have of their own self. But, that love has reached out and destroyed what separates us and what divides us and what has brought us to enmity and strife so that when we listen to the voice of the shepherd, we must no longer look at the present world order, but we must listen to the voice from above that transcends us. Do not look for your identity in your own self in this present world order. This world order is dying and wasting away. Listen to it in the voice of the Son of God. Listen to it in the voice of Scripture. Listen to God's voice. That is how we can come to be known and come to know God. I'm at the wits of home, so of course I have to make a Disney reference. Do y'all know what the history of It's a Small World is? If you have not watched the Imagineering experience or project story, thank you, Brad. I'm sure Brad's memorized it by now. Um, it's wonderful. It's really, really good. It's on Disney Plus, but it goes through the history of Disney World. And they, in that, my favorite part really was the history of Animal Kingdom, but also second part was the history of It's a Small World. And whenever they were originally going to do It's a Small World, if you've never been on it, it is a little boat ride that takes you through different countries of the world with dolls and antiques and crafts from those different countries. And it takes you through that world. Originally, when they were going to construct it, uh, the Sherman brothers were going to have the different anthems from each of those songs played. But whenever they tried to experiment that for the World's Fair, it ended up being a cacophony to where you couldn't hear one national anthem from the other. So that's when they came up with the song, It's a Small World. And there's a line in there that I love that I'm going to take issue with. It says, Though the mountains divide, and the oceans, you might want to sing it with me. I'm so tempted. Um, I know Brad and Debbie would get up and belt with me if we could. Though the mountains divide and the oceans are wide, it's a small world after all. 
That's not a very Christian sentiment. Let me tell you why. It's, it's assuming that the only thing that really divides us is humanity is geography. If, if, if we could merely just transcend that and really come to know one another, yeah, we'd really come to know one another. It's not the mountains and the ocean that divide us. It's the thief. It's the adversary that divides us. And when we listen to the voice of Jesus Christ, who reveals to us the Father's love, and shows to us a new way, no longer destined for death, but destined for life. It's no longer sin and death that divide. It's the Father's love that unites, and we can be known by God. All right, John 20. John 20, verse 11. Jesus, at this point, has been crucified and has been resurrected. Verse 11. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb. Show of hands, how many of y'all have watched The Chosen? Um, somebody from church recommended Grayson's dad. Uh, y'all remember Grayson? Grayson's dad had recommended it. And Mary Magdalene is given just an interesting portrayal. Um, what that series is trying to do is trying to give realistic fictional backstories to many of the characters you see in the Gospels. And with Mary Magdalene, the first episode is about her backstory. Um, if you know the Gospels, you know the ending. But Mary was of the outcast of society. Mary, when she was demon-possessed, would not have had anybody to have known her. And she would not, by any means, have had a home. But this woman, who at one point was demon-possessed, stood outside the tomb weeping, as she looked into the tomb. She saw. Notice here the verbs as you work through this. They're interesting. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Did you notice so far? She sees the angels. She sees Jesus. But she did not know him. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. And I will take him away. Oh, the depths of love that she had for him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But I must go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. What does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd calls the name of the sheep. It was only when Jesus called her by name 
I'm going to argue not only that she knew who he was, but that she knew who she was. The Gospel of John is bookended by a similar story to Nathaniel in John 149 following. Don't turn there. But in John 149 following, Jesus begins by calling to Nathaniel and knows him. And the Gospel ends with Jesus calling to Mary by name. And he knows her. And she then comes to know him. So where is home? Home is where you are known. And you are known because you are loved. But if you take this a step further, we're not at home here because the thief has come in and killed and destroyed and stilled. Stolen. Sorry, Andrew. Had to hurt yourself. The thief has come in to kill and destroy and steal. And this world is ripped asunder not by mountains and waters, but by sin. And we were so broken that when the Son of God himself walked among us, we did not know him. But reflecting the love of the Father, killing death, separating sin, bringing to end to destruction at the cross, Jesus reveals to us the love of God and now calls to us. And he will call to us by name. What I'd like to look at in our next section is that new name that Jesus has. Because To be home is to be called by name. Thank you.